Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Joshua 3, from 1 to 13. And it says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. They came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you in the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Amen. The Lord's with us wherever we go, right? Amen. Come on, let's give a clap for Jesus. The Lord is with us wherever we go. Guys, my name is Adam, if you're new. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. And uh, myself and my wife, we're about to have a baby. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> you're not clapping? <laughs> yeah, it's imminent, right? Because it, uh, it marks this season of life where this, this being comes comes out of your body and it's like totally 100% dependent on you, right? And so, and we've had one before, so we know that they just, they don't do anything on their own. They can't feed themselves, they can't clean themselves, um, they can breathe by themselves, that's about it, and uh, blink their eyes and stuff. <laughs> and the way they communicate with you is just by crying, right, or screaming or whatever, because they don't actually know how to communicate in any other way. And they're, so they're solely dependent on you for basically survival, which is crazy, because some, 
uh, some animals, they come out of their, uh, you know, the womb, and they just walk off. <laughs> like, it's okay, you know? Uh, <laughs> human babies, not like that, right? They're totally, totally uh, dependent. And, I was, uh, and as they get older, they, they're still dependent on you to varying degrees, right? So I was with, I was with Blakely at the park um, yesterday, and she really wanted to go on the swing, and the swing was like kinked up in a weird way, and she was like, Daddy, I want to go on that one. And there's like three other perfectly good ones. She said, no, I want that one, right? Like, okay, well, um, let me fix it for you. And she, she wandered up, and without, uh, without waiting for me and without following my instructions, was, hey, wait for me, I'll fix it for you. She just walked up and grabbed it. And, it, and you know, they're pretty intense, right? The metal chain and the metal bars, and, the, and it just pinched her finger real hard. Yeah, and so she... Burst out crying, it's horrible. And I said, hey, mama, you should have just waited for me. I'm your daddy. I would love to do these things for you because I know that you actually, you couldn't, you couldn't have done that on your own, you know? <clears throat> We're going to be looking at dependence today. That's our theme throughout today, if you haven't noticed. And um, what I want to put before us is that God doesn't demand that we shed our dependence, right? Like, as we get older and older, we kind of feel a little bit more independent, a little more capable um, as we get jobs and as we buy houses and as we're able to buy our own food and all that. God doesn't want us to shed our dependence, but as we mature both in our body, so biologically and spiritually, as you walk more and more with the Lord Jesus, he's actually inviting us into greater dependence that involves responsibility and participation with what he's doing. Is that cool? All right, sweet. So our dependence, as we mature, as we grow, stays in the same place that it's always been, which is on Jesus. Love you, Bubba. Sorry I told your secret about the swing. (laughs) All right, and so we find ourselves in in this vision series, right? So we're in breaking ground, and it's a, this is a big season shift for our church. If you've been here for a while, you know, you know what's in the air, right? Things are shifting. We're coming out of uh, one season and into something that's very, very different. It's exciting. Can you feel it, Daniel? You feel it? I feel it. It's in the air. It's a beautiful thing. And, uh, and the idea is to actually, over the course um, of our time in the book of Joshua, is actually paint the picture of what we see God pushing us into that's out there. That's the vision, that we can kind of see it. It's on the horizon, and as we get closer and closer, it becomes clearer and clearer. Every step that we take, hopefully, our vision gets clearer and clearer. But then also, as we get closer and closer to it, this is, this is kind of how Adam thinks about vision. As we get closer and closer to it, you actually can see further and further down the horizon, right? And you actually, not only do you get clarity to the vision that you can see right now, but you also see how much bigger the vision was all along. And I feel like this is a season of that for our church, right? That we went from discovering identity and destiny in Christ, influencing the city and the world, to seeing exa- like much more clearly what that's going to look like, because that's going to determine exactly what path we take to do this, right? And so this is the season we're in, is clarifying that. And everybody who calls this church home uh, and a family, like that's what we're doing together. Okay, we do that in our BLGs as we talk about the scripture. We care for each other as we you know, stumble along trying to walk towards that thing. We do life and family. And all along as we're doing that, hopefully the vision is getting clearer and clearer. And so last week, um, 
we, we talked about Rahab, okay? And we talked about um, her expectation, both of God, the God that she had heard about, and, and in those moments put her faith in, and also her expectation of God's people to participate in what God was doing. Really cool story. Mike did a great job um, illustrating that for us and how it actually is significant for this moment as we talk about vision. Um, and so what I want us to do is kind of take an individual's faith, a story of an individual's faith, and we're going to transition now and look at an entire community's step of faith together. Is that cool? And that's kind of where we are in the story. <clears throat> and so the question for us is, um, and, and it's all, this is always the question, right, throughout this whole series for us. God, what does it look like for us together, calling ourselves family, hopefully being family, to walk forward in what you have for us? And here's, what, here's my, Mike always does a bottom line. This is way too long to be a bottom line, but this is my sentence for us, I think. Um, I think we're going to start to see that as a community, we'll need to be a people marked by radical dependence on God to fulfill his promises and a dependence on God's people to be consecrated. This is a big word that's going to come up in our passage, and we saw it already go by, for his purposes in the midst of faithful action. That was long. I know it was a mouthful. <laughs> We need, we need to be, this is our family, we, if someone looked at our family, they would say, that's a people marked by radical dependence on God, radical dependence on each other, as a holy people, doing something about what God is calling them to do. All right, and so we remember the vision, right? Discovering identity and destiny in Christ through 5,600 people, influencing our city by partnering with 560 organizations and influencing our worlds through planting 56 churches. That's a big vision. Who, when they first saw that, is like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do that? Yeah, like, yeah. Matt, you're with me. Yeah, John's, Jonathan's with me. Jamie's with me. Yeah, that's big, right? I love you, Bubba. Thanks for coming to say hi. <laughs> how are we going to get there? Like, how are we, we going to get from this ragtag little group of, I don't know, what's in this room? About, a, I don't know, 100, 120 people. Um, if everybody showed up in Trinity Life, maybe, maybe we need to throw a couple more seats in the back. I don't know, what is it, like 200 people? We're not really sure. We don't count that much. <clears throat> what would it take to get this group of people to walk forward into that, to see it be a reality? Right? Because it's cool to just throw out the vision and say, yeah. Let's do it. It's a big vision. It's exciting. But like, actually, actually, what are we going to do? Like, it's way over there, and I've got to either take a step right here, or I've got to take a step right here to go this way around, maybe an obstacle or whatever, right? But we have, we have to go somehow, and we have to do it together. So what, it, what does it actually look like? Well, hopefully, we get an answer to that in the passage. That's my hope. So let's read it. So Joshua 3, 1. Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, uh, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. All right. <clears throat> Man, if you're Joshua, just think about this right here. So Joshua gets up way early, and I could just see myself being Joshua and being like, 
God, I need to just be with you for a moment before everyone else wakes up because we're going to go to this river and, and it's a big river and we have to get like what could be, they're not 100% sure on the exact size of the people of God at that point, but it could be upwards of a million people around that. Let's say that, right? A million people across this massive river. That's tough. So let's talk about this river real quick. <laughs> the Jordan River, um, as it is today, it's not quite the same Jordan River that it used to be, right? It's actually gotten a lot smaller because of just population growth. They're draining it for resource, right? Uh, farms and agriculture, a lot more around it are pulling, from, pulling water from the river. Um, but something that I found incredibly fascinating about this river in particular uh, is it's like really far below sea level. And why is that cool? Well, it means that like the way it got so far below sea level is, is they think two big tectonic plates of the planet Earth just like collided with each other and in the middle folded inwards and uh, kind of just outside that rose up with mountains, right? So that's like pretty significant geological thing that God is doing, right? <clears throat> and so the, so the middle of it plunges deep, deep down below sea level, which is, which is pretty cool. It, I don't think it's... Uh, uh, that common, right? And, uh, <clears throat> and it runs north to south, okay? And it runs from the Sea of Galilee into uh, the Dead Sea. You guys heard of the Dead Sea? Yeah, it's like 30% salt content. It's like you could float on it, like stand, no, not like that, but you float so easily, right? Because it's just, you're so buoyant. <clears throat> um, and it actually starts Oh, yeah, this, this is funny about the Dead Sea. I heard someone say this about it. It's where water goes to die. <laughs> like, uh, because it can't get out. It can't go anywhere, right? So it just, like, ends there, and then it just stops flowing, um, and, and it just evaporates out, and that's why it has such a high salt content buildup. Um, all right, and actually start off with three rivers that, that kind of form together, um, and it can measure as deep as about 10 feet. So this is six. I'm six feet, so add two-thirds of me on top of me. You get an idea, right? So I, like, you can't walk it and keep your head above the water. Like, that's not happening. So it's deep, right? Um, and it can get as wide as about 100 feet during normal seasons. This is a big river, right? This is a big river. All right. And the catch with this Jordan River at this time of the year is that it's not just any time of the year. It's is actually the springtime, um, and there's a huge, in the springtime in that region, there's a huge amount of snow melt that, that comes down the Mount, Mount Hermon, and rainfall that happens in the spring, right? Like April showers being May flowers. This is what happens in the spring, okay? Uh, and, it, and it builds up, and the water builds up and up. So the water level is really high. Has anyone seen the Don River, like, during the springtime? The one just over here next to the DVP. It's crazy, right? It could get real high. And they tell you, like, not to go on the walking trails there because it could be dangerous. <clears throat> um, so that makes this challenge even greater because not only is it deeper than normal, but it's also wider than normal, okay? <clears throat> and, the, okay, the last thing about the river, and we'll move on. <laughs> this is not just like a babbling brook, right? This isn't just like water just kind of moving necessarily, okay? It's... Uh, the incline of the river is so that over the course of 
uh, 105 kilometers, you know, so if you drove at 100 kilometers an hour for an hour, so over the course of that, that length, um, it actually descends 185 meters. That's like a huge incline, right? So if you think, I don't know, could you chart it out? Like, what would, how steep would that be? They're pretty steep, right? So, so the water would just come down this thing. So this isn't, this isn't like a safe thing that they're adventuring on doing here. It's not like, I'll just build a boat and we'll just go. Like, first off, there's a million people, so how many boats do I need? But this water is moving, okay? All right. So what do they do? What do they have to do about this river? This brings us to uh, verse 2 and 3. At the end of the three days, so they waited, basically they waited three days, um, the officers then went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, you shall set out from your place and follow it. Okay, so the first question we have to ask is, what is the Ark of the Covenant? Um, I preached on this in our uh, summer series, Practice of Presence. Um, for anybody who wants like a more detailed description of the Ark of the Covenant, you can go to my sermon on worship, and I kind of deep dove on the Ark of the Covenant, so you can check that out. But basically, it's this golden box that carries some very important things around in the life of the people of Israel, and basically it represents the presence of God amongst God's people. It's like a very important thing that they're carrying. And so, um, uh, so, so for it to go forward before the people, they see it moving, means the presence of God is moving and that they should follow the presence of God. It's basically what's happening there. Um, and so for us, there's a couple things that I noticed right here. If we had to like make clear what are some next, next steps for us as a community, um, here's a couple things for us. Number one, Joshua needs competent leaders to help the nation accomplish the vision that God gave him, right? He actually sent the officers to go out through um, and amongst the people, okay? So God actually, he's not just calling a one-man show here, right? Like, Joshua, you have to do the whole thing. That actually there's people in the community who are going to rise up. We kind of talked about this a few weeks ago, right? The mighty men of valor who went before the people. And so for us, consider what that means for you, right? How can you step up to call the people, to call not just our community, but call, call people beyond our community into following the presence of the Lord? So that's going to be very important for us. Number two... It's okay that our leaders give us strategy. It's okay. I know we're like millennials and we don't like authority very much. Like, I think about the, the, the absolute hell I put my parents through in my teenage years, right? Anybody else do that? No. Not at all? <laughs> I heard about your machete stories. <laughs> yeah, absolute hell, right? <clears throat> um, and, and so, like, that, that's been what we've grown up in, and that was actually, in the culture of, uh, that we've grown up in, that was, like, the cool thing to do. Like, ah, oh, your mom was like this, or your dad did that? Well, just tell them to... Well, I can't even say it. We're in church, guys. <laughs> right? Like, that's the culture we grew up in. And, and so, for, for some of you, that's not the case, but uh, for a lot of us, that was the case. A lot more freedom, a lot more uh, ability to push back against authority. And this, 
Like, it started way, way before us. Culturally, these seeds have been growing, right? Um, but I want to encourage us, like, it's okay that our leaders actually exercise authority and give us strategy, right? Like, hey, let's step over there, right? If half the people are like, nah, we don't trust you, whatever, like, we're going to go this way. And then it's like, oh, shoot. And then we're split and divided. Some people are going this way. Some people are going that way. Like, it's okay to follow our leaders on strategy, right? Not every strategy is 1,000% infallible, but it's okay that our leaders give strategy and that we follow our leaders, right? Um, and where does that come from, right? The officers went through the camp and commanded the people. This is the strategy. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the priests, say to you guys, go carry the Ark of the Covenant first, and then people are going to follow. That's the strategy, right? So they walked around and said, guys, this is our strategy. When the Ark goes, we go. Uh, number three, if you want to be a leader and influence this community, we want to develop you and push you forward in that. Like, it's actually really exciting. Someone's like, I feel like God is calling me to lead other people. Like, I actually want to and have a joy, and I'm experiencing this right now with, like, with, like me and my friends. Like, I started, uh, I just sense that I have this influence with people, and people are actually starting to follow me. It's like, amazing. We want to actually give you more so that you can do that better and do that with greater influence for more people if that's what God is calling you to do. Like, that's really exciting. And so we want that for you. And so if you feel like you are called to lead or like God is just bestowing leadership gifts on you, man, we want, that's so cool. And so let us know that so we can push you forward in that. And also your leaders want to, you to do that, right? They don't, want to be, they don't want to be a Joshua who has to do everything themselves. They actually want to be a Joshua that has a, a people behind them that have their back that can lead with them. It's actually really exciting to think about pushing forward together, leading people together. That's really exciting for me. <clears throat> uh, number four, hopefully... The aim of godly leadership, right? I was speaking with a friend the other day that, that of the, the gravity of like architecting community. Like how are we making this a family? And like there's actually such a huge weight and responsibility. And like it can be so that like it's hard to sleep at night sometimes because of things that happen or just feeling that weight and like knowing what we're walking into. And, and it's just like it's a crazy thing to bear sometimes. And... Uh, and hopefully, godly leadership is pointing you towards following Jesus with your entire life, right? Because there's so much room for corruption when people have influence over a community of people, right? And so there's, here's, there's a little definition for you. If you're like, yes, but is this what they're doing? I'm not sure. This is what they should be doing, right? Pointing you towards following Jesus with all of your life. And number five, the leaders at this church... We're trying to architect ways, right, for you to join into the vision that this family is going on, right? Like, we know that God's calling us over there. How can we make on-ramps for everybody to come on board, right? And that's what Joshua is using the officers to do, right? Setting up a strategy that everyone can follow along with. So it, asked, it, it made me ask, like, if we're, if we're trying to, if we're responsible for moving a group of people towards a vision, <clears throat> how, 
how do we experience God in the midst of that, right? Like, the Ark of the Covenant is moving, and the presence of God is moving. How do we experience God, us as a community, how do we experience God in the midst of it? And I made me ask about discipleship and what we actually think discipleship is, right? So for us, what do we call discipleship here at Trinity Life Church? A disciple is someone who's learning to hear, trust, obey, right? Hear God's voice, trust it, obey it. If I had prizes, it's almost Halloween, so I have tons of little chocolates in, but it's not Halloween yet, so <clears throat> no prizes. All right. <laughs> so that's what we call discipleship, right? Um, and it doesn't just happen like in an ether, right? Like it doesn't just happen in nowhere. It like happens as we do life together, right? So um, I've, come, I've been coming to say this recently, right? Like discipleship is what happens when um, the kingdom of God just collides with the reality that you're living in, right? And we have these boring definitions of discipleship sometimes. Like, well, I get together with someone and I sit down and I just read a book with them, and we talk about abstract concepts and never do anything about it. Or we'll check in with each other the next week and say, hey, did you do something about it? Like, nah. Did you do something? Well, I tried, but probably, you know, nah, whatever, right? Like, okay, maybe that's not discipleship, right? That actually God is doing something, so the kingdom of God is colliding with the exact reality that you are in right now, okay? And so when we do, th everything that we do is an opportunity for discipleship, right? That when you're given a responsibility or a task, right? It's like, ah, oh, I can actually experience God right in the midst of this. This is the reality I'm in, that I'm living in, that we are doing together as a community, and God is going to be right in that. We don't have to wait to go home, crowd around a book, though I love this book in particular, Right? Um, and just talk about it abstractly and not have it affect our reality, okay? And so hopefully we're architecting ways in which you can come on board into this family, follow into what God has for us, and experience him in the midst of it. That's like, ah, oh, so the desire. All right. Cool, let's move on. So verse four. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, it being the Ark of the Covenant, um, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. What I see right here for us when it comes to uh, moving forward and hopefully bringing clarity today on moving forward is that healthy reverence, humility, and clarity is key for depending on God into the unknown, right? That's the, you have not passed this way before. This is something totally new. It's totally new. This is a new place, a new people. All the old people, they died off in the wilderness. This is a new people, a new place, a new unique point in time, and a new work that God is doing. And so to move forward, healthy reverence, humility, and clarity right? Clarity, 2,000 cubits in length. It's very specific. For anyone who wants to know, a cubit apparently is the measurement from here to here. So you can see how accurate that would be, because if Emily put her cubit up next to my cubit, I'd have a much bigger cubit. <laughs> so, but at that point in time, before rulers and, you know, meters and all that kind of stuff, uh, that's how they would do it. 2,000 cubits, all right? Very specific. 
Clarity, humility. What does that mean? Like, oh, we need to be careful about how close we get to the very presence of God. Let's actually let it go out and be before us out there. One, so that everyone can see. This isn't just for me, right? Like, uh, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you should go. Because the Ark of the Covenant's going that way and we're following it. Right? So we need to give some distance so everyone can see it. Okay? <clears throat> and healthy reverence. Like they would actually, this golden box, they would actually cover it with a blanket. I don't know if you guys remember me talking about that in, in the sermon I referenced with, uh, with my explanation on the, the Ark. But they would actually cover it, right? Because getting into the presence of God is a very... Very interesting thing. They, really, when you set up the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be inside, inside the furthermost place of this big tent in which they would go in to meet with God. And it was, they had to be so careful about it that like, a guy could only go in once a year and sometimes they'd even attach a rope to him just in case he stepped into the, into the presence of God and, uh, and he, wasn't, he wasn't clean because he was entering into this most holy place that he might die and they'd just have to drag his dead body out. Right? It's very serious business. So, so let's, let's put it out there. Reverence, because God is holy. And let's follow at a distance where everyone can see. Let's, this is not just for me. This is for everyone entering the promise. Humility and clarity. Do it in this specific way. <clears throat> uh, another thing that's interesting about this is that this wasn't the way that they would follow God previously in the wilderness. Like, they wouldn't just send the Ark of the Covenant off into a land where they know their enemies are right there, and they have to wait, you know, 2,000 cubits away, say about a half a mile, just for us, maybe about, what's that, like 1.2 kilometers? I'm not a math person, but... Right? So an incredible distance away. When our enemies are just over there, and our most prized possession that, that, that represents the presence of God, let's just send it off all by itself. That's not how they would do it. Right? They would do it by actually a, a, a pillar of smoke would come down in the desert and the, the, the community of people would move towards the pillar of smoke and actually the, um, the ark would be guarded and in the middle of the people, right? And they, just, they wouldn't just send it off out into the middle of nowhere. And so God is leading them in a new way. Uh, what does this mean for us? I think it means that the expectation of the church, some of our expectations of the church need to die. I was in uh, <clears throat> doing a little church planting thing with some church planting students, and, uh, and they asked, like, what, what giftings do you need to have to be a church planter, right? It's like, huh, okay. Um, well, what are the giftings that we predominantly see in the church in North America? Let's call it pastor and teacher, so, so someone who really likes to take care of people and somebody who really likes to teach the Bible. Those are their predominant gifts, right? And so we actually expect every leader in the church to be a shepherd teacher. I think that has to die. I think that has to die. Why? Well, we went through it this summer. There's so many more spiritual gifts, amen? There's so many more than that. And God apportions them, Ephesians 4 says, as he pleases right? As he pleases. So all of our leaders and all of you, we're all going to be totally different and unique, right? 
And so we're actually going to see if we put different people in, if we have all of these officers, men of valor, rising up, we're actually going to see different gifts all over the place in the church, and people are going to lead in different ways, and people are going to be different, and that's, like, exciting. It's actually much, it's probably going to be much healthier, much better, and we're going to see God do things that are totally crazy, totally new, totally awesome for our good. Amen? So that's just one small example of what might need to die of our expectations of church, right? Because church isn't just isn't going to be what it was that you grew up in. I didn't grow up in the church, and so we started this thing, and it's like, ah, well, God, what do we do, <laughs> right? And a lot of us come in, if we grew up in church, and we're like, ah, I've been in church my whole life. It should look like this. It's like, ah, I was kind of just waiting for God to say something about it. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, right? I don't know. But let's have fun exploring what may be new, uncovered territory, right? What does it say? You have not passed this way before. It's going to be new. Um, here's another small example. I think we need to shift our, what we understand the Christian life to be to not just showing up, but to really be being everything that God made you to be. All right. <clears throat> so, I think we get, hopefully that was clear, right? Like, Trinity life and where we're going, it's not going to be the same roadmap for every other church, right? That God is doing a new thing here. And what we, so here's an encouragement to us. That actually gives us freedom to drop some of our baggage, right? I know you've been hurt by the church. I know that, that maybe even in, in, in this church, because of some of the baggage that we have, you've been hurt. And we actually get to let some of that stuff go because God's doing a new thing. We actually haven't been here before. Someone said to me the other day, didn't you know that person was just playing church? <laughs> what? what does that mean? What does it mean that we play church? How does that even in our vocabulary as Christians? Just play church? Now, what, like... Is this what that means? Like, yeah, I'll pray for you. See ya. And then never pray. Is that what that means to play church? Or does it mean, yeah, like, I'll pray about that, but really I'm saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to wait a week to tell them that, right? Like, what does, it, what does it mean to play church? That we say nice things and then we go off? Like, I actually have no idea. I'm learning it. I'm learning what it means to play church, but, man, that just shouldn't be our vocabulary. <clears throat> this is my thoughts about this. Our God is so much bigger, so much more creative, so much more fun than any kind of like imported, old, dead religious baggage that we feel like carrying around. He's so much more fun, amen? Yeah. Joy to the, joy to the world, the Lord has come, right? Like our God is a God of joy. That whatever was set before Jesus, he walked into it because that was joy for him. Even the cross. That going to the cross was joy. It's amazing. So God is more fun. He's bigger. He's more creative than any of that old dead stuff that we feel like carrying around. At the same time, this is, <laughs> so I say all that, and I, we have to respect the fact that we, we come from this ancient tradition of faith, Right? 
Faith in a God who's been breaking new ground since before this even, right? And so hopefully as we go forward, we can aim to maintain sight of the presence of God and position ourselves so that we can all see Jesus and this new place that he's taking us into. Someone called me a hipster the other day. <laughs> it was, uh, Emily organized this great little birthday party for me. It was awesome. Thank you, sweetie. And, uh, and someone was like, Adam, you're the only true hipster I know. And I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> Why do you say that? Um, and actually, some of the things that came up were, it totally surprised me, right? So it was, it was not like, oh, because you have a beard, and oh, because you like to wear button-ups and old man sweaters, right? <laughs> they actually said, uh, they said, you like to try new things, like artisanal things, craftsmanship things. You like to make beer. You like to can cucumbers. You like to make guitars, which I've done. <clears throat> I was like, so enjoying a variety of hobbies and skills, does that make me a hipster? <laughs> right? Um, I'm not sure. Anyway, so the debate is not, is Adam a hipster or not, right? But... <laughs> But here's, here's something I've discovered in this journey of, uh, of, of enjoying this variety of hobbies and experiences and just trying new things. It's actually really cool to see something old become new again. Right? How can we be creative and have fun with, with what we have? Right? I think maybe part of what it means to be a hipster is we don't just throw stuff out. Right? We're not hoarders like our parents because... You know, we're trying to get rid of some of that baggage. But, uh, but we do have some old stuff lying around that we repurpose and make actually even more beautiful in a new way. That's pretty cool, right? And so how do we take this ancient tradition and see this God who really is new and creative and fun, see that, the new thing that God is doing, come into the fullness and fruition? I think we're actually going to really heavily have to depend on the Lord if we're going to go there, right? Because we can't just do what we've seen before. We actually have to say, God, what's the new thing you're doing? Like, man, because we're also not just going to be able to come, like, come up with it intrinsically in our own right, right? Like, oh, like, you know, yeah, Jen, you're so creative. How'd you come up with that? Like, ah, well, just spend a lot of time with Jesus, <laughs> Yeah, we came up with it together. I don't know. We're going to see, you know? <clears throat> so hopefully, around this issue of the new thing that God is doing, we can have humility to appreciate what's come before us, reverence of the one who is worthy and who is doing the new thing, and just, just like a joyful, childish wonder at the one who's going before us and paving the way. All right, so let's move on here. Verse five, Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Like, oh, think about it. This God, okay, what has this God done so far? Well, he made all of the heavens and the earth. Whoa. Oh boy, like from there, it's like anything could happen, right? He talked to Moses through a bush that was on fire that didn't burn. 
Oh my goodness, what is this wonder going to be tomorrow? He parted the Red Sea and all of the people walked through it while they were being chased by a massive army and then God released the waters and destroyed the whole army that was chasing them. Huh, what is the wonder going to be tomorrow? They actually don't know yet. What? But he's done some pretty cool stuff already, right? But before they get to see that, what do they have to do? Consecrate themselves. So I found myself going... What does that mean? What does that, what is, like, what does that really mean, right? Like, we kind of have an idea. Like, that's an old churchy word. It probably means to, like, like uh, uh, get ready for the big day, right? I don't know. If you're really old and churchy, maybe it's, okay, consecrate myself. That means I'm going to go into the room, and I'll put on my special robe, and I'll get my stick, and I'll put on my fancy hat. Maybe that's what, I don't know, right? These are these old churchy words. We kind of assume what they mean. We don't really know what they mean. So what does it mean? Um, hopefully I can define it. Want to be holy. Removed from common use. Subject to special treatment. And forfeit to the sanctuary. Okay, a bunch more churchy words that... <laughs> yeah, you're like, Adam, that did not help. Well, that's, that's the definition. All right, to be holy... Removed from common use. Did you actually know this? We talk about discovering our identity and destiny in Christ. Did you actually know that in Christ, you have been removed from common use and you are actually for something amazing and glorious. You're actually subject to special treatment. Ephesians 1 says, you are given every spiritual blessing. That's part of your identity. That's pretty cool. Forfeit to the sanctuary, right? That actually everything we get to do gets to be for the Lord, his presence, his purposes, for the sake of God's people. Hmm. So, maybe to, maybe to understand consecration, we won't just like perfectly define it, but I'll encourage you guys to slow down from normal life at some point this week just pause and have a moment where you say, God, thank you for making me for a special purpose. You've actually taken me out of just the world's stuff, keeping up with the Joneses, getting the next job, doing whatever the thing is that everyone else is trying to do. You've actually set me aside for something else. And you give me special treatment like a father and a son like a father towards his daughter. That's you. And in that moment, say, God, how can I be used for your service? And maybe if we, we have a moment like that sometime this week, maybe we've consecrated ourselves. For the people of Israel, this usually meant um, a ritual washing, so they'd wash themselves, they'd change their clothes, <clears throat> um, and... They would closely monitor their sexual activity. The silence got even more silent. <laughs> right? Some of you young dating, couple, like, you're having, maybe having some fun out there, right? To consecrate ourselves means to closely monitor that, right? Guys in pornography, right? 
Let's watch out. Let's closely monitor that. There's something going on here with God's people. They need to wash themselves. Um, How does this translate for us today? Well, uh, for us, our washing comes in the blood of Jesus, right? And so this is, what, this is what happens on the cross. This is the amazing message of the truth of the gospel, right? That Jesus goes to the cross. He's actually, his body is flayed open and blood is just pouring out. And it's actually in that, that great act of evil on the part of humanity to kill God, that God does something amazing and says, this blood is washing you clean. And I see it washing you clean in two ways. Some of you, you're very active, right? You're like, you're like me. So you go out and you sin. That's like, you're just a troublemaker, right? I get that. Some of you, and uh, sorry, let's, let's focus on that. Finish that thought, Adam. All right. God cleanses you of that, right? Every way that you've gone out and caused trouble in this way, God, I'm just, I don't need you. I'm going to do it this way, right? We'll just have a very loose definition of going out and causing trouble to catch the whole group, right? God cleanses you of that. That stain that you've put on yourself, God cleanses you of that. And for for the other, for some others of us, I mean, we all fit in that one. Like, you know, you know what it is for you. And some of us, though, we need cleansing in a different way because some horrible stuff has happened to you. It should never have happened. Never. It actually broke God's heart. God was actually angry with what happened because he wanted so much better for you. And the Lord weeps for you in the thing that happened to you or things. Maybe, Maybe it's happening right now. And a stain has put, been put on you that you never wanted. Like, what's the first thing a rape victim does? They go home and they shower, right? Because they just need to get this thing off, this stain that's been put on them that they never wanted. And God will clean you of that too. He will. That's what the blood of Jesus does. It's beautiful. He changes our clothes, right? That the saints were actually dressed in robes that were white, right? That once we were, like, our robes were stained with scarlet blood, or, yeah, scarlet blood, and he actually takes those off, gives us new robes, robes of righteousness, robes that say, the way God sees you is he sees you as if you are perfect just like his son Jesus, robes of white with no stain. And in that, he he takes us and he sets us aside for his purposes. So how do we enter into that? How do we enter that? Because we're like, yeah, I've done some things. I'm still doing some things. I did some things five minutes ago. Adam, these things I'm thinking about you right now? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Or these things have happened to me. How, do, how does this cleansing, setting aside, and 
robes, how does it happen? Jesus did it on the cross, but you're sitting there going, maybe, if you've never been to church before, or if you're new to coming to church, you're hanging out with this crazy bunch, right? You're like, well, that's not the case for me right now. Like, how do I enter into that, right? And for all of us, the answer is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Consecration. This is how we consecrate ourselves. God, God, I need you to cleanse me. And you actually mean it, right? Like, God loves a broken and contrite heart. It means you really, you really feel that. You really mean that. We talked when I, when I preached on the worship sermon, right? It's like, if someone gave you a million dollars, and you're like, oh, great, thanks. Right? Is that how you would react? Right? No, you'd probably go like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Why are you giving this to me? Oh, I'm pretty excited right now. I can do a lot of things, like buy a house and a new car, and I can buy pants that don't have holes in it. Right? That's exciting. Just got a million bucks. If anyone has extra millions of dollars lying around, I just want one, personally. So if you just have millions laying around, we'll just take one. Right? It would be exciting, right? And God's given us something that's even more valuable than that, and sometimes just like, meh, thanks, that's great. Like, no, do we actually feel, are we actually contrite? And do we actually confess the thing that we did? Or do we kind of dance around it? Because we're like, eh, you know, God, I'm sorry that I sinned. Or how about, God, I am, I, oh my gosh, God, I'm sorry that at 3 a.m. I decided to click on that thing and watch that girl or that guy. Or, God, I've been holding this bitterness I, and it is killing me. I know that it's killing me, right? What does it look like for you to be genuinely contrite, repent, and receive a gift in faith? Oh, boy, that's my signal, eh? <laughs> here's, here's my thoughts on this verse, right? Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Holiness today prepares the way for God to move tomorrow. I mean, God's probably gonna do whatever he wants anyways, so this isn't something that you can fake or leverage, right? God's gonna do what he wants, because he's God, and it's usually for our good, but look at this. Be holy today, right now, don't wait, because tomorrow God's gonna do that wonder. Still not even really sure what that is. Holiness today prepares the way for God to move tomorrow. So what do we need to deal with? What do, how do we need to come before the Lord, just rely on him, lean on him, lean into his grace? What is it for us, maybe corporately, maybe individually, for us to, do, to, to lean on God, be consecrated, become more like Jesus today so that we can walk into what he has for tomorrow? Whatever it is you're waiting on, don't wait anymore. Come to the Lord today. All right. Uh, verses six to seven. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That's pretty cool. He says that to Joshua. He says that to the leader. I will exalt you. Uh, 
take up the ark, pass on before the people. This is basically the story of Joshua. I am going to go before you, so I will be with you as I was with Moses, right? Take up the ark and go, because God is a God who goes before his people to fight for them. And this is the God throughout all of Scripture. He's always gone before them. He's about to go before them and tear down the walls of Jericho. They didn't have to do anything, right? He was going to do that. He parted the Red Sea. He's about to do this wonder because he goes before and he fights for his people. And number two, embrace your role as a leader in God's movement and he will exalt you. He says to Joshua, I will exalt you. So what's your part? How do you need to trust and obey? What's your part? We opened with that. What is your part in the vision? And as for you, verse eight, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. They're like, whoa, wait a second. That river, nuh-uh, why would I stand in there? That's crazy talk. How do you need to get in the water? God hasn't done the wonder yet, but are you being asked to get in the water? I don't know. That's the question for you. Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. Uh, that's a lot of ites. <laughs> I eat. <laughs> Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. God's gonna go. He just is. He's going to go. This is how you're going to know. You're going to see his presence walk forward. And they still don't even know what the wonder is yet. What is it? Okay, fine. Let's end it here. Verse 12 to 13. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing... And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. This wonder, this strategy, so the Ark of the Covenant was going to go, but now God's strategy is revealed. I'm going to cut it off. Come on up, guys. Don't be shy. I promise I'm wrapping this up. Finally, the strategy is revealed. God wants to take the people of Israel from passive faith to active faith. Right? Where we just wait for God to do something to actually participating with God, right? That was one of my words from the beginning. That God wants greater responsibility and participation from us. He wants them to participate in the wonder, step in. True faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. The evidence was rushing river, we got to stand in it, crazy town, okay. Right? So does faith mean just stepping in, even though it looks crazy? Not quite. It's actually obeying despite the consequences. You see the difference? 
obeying despite the consequences. God, I'm going to step in this river, even if it means I get swept all the way down and lose my life, because this is what you're calling us into. This is how you're going to fulfill your promise. I don't know if I'm going to die or you're going to do something crazy, but I'm going to step in no matter what happens. No matter what happens. That's true faith. Obeying despite the consequences. Ah, God, if I do this, I may have to, I don't know, not work overtime all the time because I can care for more people if I do that. Oh, God, if I do this, that means, um, what will it mean? might mean I have to sacrifice some finances so that the people who live across the street from me who don't have any money can, you know, I can bless them in some way. Maybe I don't get the latest and greatest video game system every time it comes out. I know some of you are into video games. <laughs> I was big into video games. I get it. Right? What is it? Maybe my house is going to get crazy because I'm going to foster a kid. I don't care that my house is going to get crazy. Right? But I just want to bless a family and bless a child and give them a hope at a new future, a better future. What is it? What are the consequences that are preventing you from stepping in? Just step in. Don't worry about those consequences. God is going before you. Let's go back to babies to wrap this up. Blakely, my now almost three-year-old daughter, she showed her dependence on me, her father, by acting in the way that she could at that time, right? So when she was in the womb, I would sing to her. And how would she show her love, reaction, dependence for me? She'd dance, right? How does she do it when she's a little baby in my arms? She'd rest and snuggle in, right? How does she do it now? She holds my hands and we dance in worship because she trusts me. She knows she can depend on me. And so whatever way it is for you to show your dependence on the Lord, do that however you can at this point in time in your life. The kingdom of God will collide with your reality. What do you do? Something. Something. Maybe just start with open arms and resting. Let's pray together. God, thank you that we can depend on you. Thank you that you're good. You've shown your faithfulness through the cross. You've shown your faithfulness by stopping the water. You've shown your faithfulness by going before us. And God, as you do a new thing in our community, we are so excited to enter into it. Help us think creatively about that. Help us um, have increased joy as we step forward despite any uh, obstacles or suffering. Bring us clarity. Bring us unity. And that God bless us to be a people who would show our dependence for you, who would lean on our need for you every moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon. Thank you.